Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's topic, school reopenings and COVID, what's happening, and the latest developments from a legal perspective. Here to help us with these issues is Myrick O'Connell partner Mark Terry, lead of the firm's public education practice and a member of its Labor, Employment, and Employee Benefits Group. Mark, welcome back to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Great to have you. Thanks, Howard. Good to be with you again. Great. So if you could just refresh us uh, just a bit, what is school law? Yeah, these days, school law is, is all about uh, collective bargaining and, and uh, getting staff back to work, but it certainly is a broader thing than that. Um, a lot of it is labor and employment law, relations with um, unions that represent school district teachers, uh, paraprofessionals, custodians, food service workers, et cetera. Um, but there is a, a, you know, more to school law than just that. It also includes consideration of, of student rights, student privacy rights, student discipline, those kind of issues general government operations, when you're talking about public schools, you're talking about public entities, just like you think about the state government or municipal government. Um, there are also certain um, laws that apply to public school districts like the open meeting law, conflict of interest, procurement, budget processes, things like that. And then some of the more specialized areas in school law that really are beyond my personal practice are construction projects. You know, you're talking about doing renovations of school buildings or putting up new buildings. And then special education, um, which is certainly a huge topic, and some people just specialize exclusively in that as well. But it's a wide-ranging and diverse practice for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, uh, Mark, if you could remind us and update us of the unique issues, and there are a lot of them, and they're quite unique, <laughs> that have come up for the public schools as a result of COVID. I mean, it's in the news practically every hour. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been, uh, I think you and I talked last in, in April, and it's been a really interesting uh, now five months, I guess. Um, I think the, the biggest issues have really been health and safety issues, um, and not necessarily strictly from legal compliance, but every employer has an obligation uh, under OSHA, which is now applicable to public entities in Massachusetts, to provide a, 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 a safe workplace. Um, so there have been a lot of concerns in that area um, based on COVID. And then the other is really all, all the leave issues that come from the FFCRA, which was passed back in, in March and April um, in response to COVID, right? It's the, it's the family's first coronavirus response relief act. I always mix up those two words there. Um, you know, and, and that provides leave for people who get sick. It provides leave for people who are taking care of people who get sick. It provides leave for um, people who, who can't come to work because their kids school is closed or their childcare is not available. So when you look at that and then traditional disability law analysis, um, that's been a real hot topic for sure. And then most recently, um, what we've seen have been you know, unions really battling over these reopening plans. And in a couple of cases, um, we'll call them work actions for now, and maybe we get into that later, uh, but in the eyes of the law, a strike. Right. So I know a lot of people, um, including folks who do not have kids in the public schools anymore or never did, they're wondering, what is the latest, just at a 30,000-foot level, on the school reopenings in Massachusetts as we're recording this in mid-September? Yeah. Today or this week are, are the uh, 
in fact, I, I dropped my kids off for their first in-person days uh, this morning, a couple hours ago. Oh, wow. And um, as we sit here on Thursday, the, the 17th, uh, but schools are reopening in, in some fashion. There had been a, an agreement between the state uh, commissioner of education and the statewide teachers unions of BTU, um, the Mass Teachers Association, to provide um, for a shorter school year to reduce the numbers from 180 to 170, which meant the start of the school year got pushed back in most places and, and most districts are opening this week. Um, and so the, the sort of big 30,000 foot view is, you know, what's that model look like? And there are really kind of three different models that were considered. Um, one was to be fully remote. Everything is being taught or learned from some location, meaning that the staff are not in the same place as the kids are, and it's all being done on a computer. Um, then there's the so-called hybrid model, which is probably the most popular one, I think, where you've got some number of kids in a building, um, for say two days a week and then the remaining group of kids come in another two days a week and you've got a day in the middle that's remote for everybody or a week on week off models a variation of that and the third model which I really haven't seen much of at all is truly going back in person for everybody you know it's sort of as if 2020 was the same as 2019 and I'm not aware of a whole lot of schools that have, have gone that model unless they're incredibly small as it is right do you have a rough breakdown. I mean, I don't expect you to know the exact numbers, but just kind of rough percentages of what's hybrid and what's fully remote. Yeah. Yeah. My sense is that it's probably something like a, a 70-30 split um, with 70% being hybrid. That's that's my gut instinct. And certainly in the metro Boston area, that's that feels like um, more common. It seems that there are more districts in the western part of the state that um, have gone fully remote or at least fully remote to start. And I should say there, there are a lot of districts that um, are being sort of labeled as fully remote because if this is their first full week of school and everybody's remote this week, that's the way they're being kind of labeled or tagged. But a lot of schools are not getting their kids in the building until say October 1st, you know, just a couple weeks down the road because they either had, um, ventilation issues they needed to resolve or operational issues that are slowing things down a little bit that are making the first couple of weeks of remote. And, and I really don't have a sense of how many districts of the ones that are saying they're remote are in that ballpark, but will be open you know, within a week or two later. Sure, sure. So you mentioned the union before, or the unions before, the teachers' unions. What are their biggest areas of action and concern right now in your view, Mark? Yeah, I think without a doubt, their concerns have been really about health and safety. Um, you know, they've, they've raised a lot of concerns and, and um, folks out there may be aware that you know, the best advice from the CDC and the Department of Public Health and, and other entities has really been obviously social distancing and masks. Um, but there's also advice out there in terms of um, what are called these ASHRAE standards. You have to forgive me. I don't know exactly what ASHRAE stands for, but it, it's basically a, a um, an industry group that has issued standards around particularly ventilation and some other safety um, related concerns so that you're getting guidance on um, either how many air exchanges per hour you should get in a particular room from ventilation systems or, um, how the virus behaves differently when you get higher humidity levels or lower humidity levels. And so there've been a lot of discussions around how do we make buildings safe? Um, 
and you know for newer buildings um, that's a bit of an easier thing to do um, because the equipment's newer but for a lot of our school districts they have buildings that go back into the 1920s 30s you know 40s 50s um, and the equipment is they're finding out for the first time forever doesn't work um, right. and so trying to find a balance where the, the safety concerns can be addressed and, and you know, legitimately so. So there are other options in terms of just other than just fixing equipment, you can you, there are other approaches you can take, but trying to balance that health and safety concern against the need and desire for everybody to, to educate kids has really been the battleground area. Um, and so one of the things you're looking at is certain all the, the equipment, the, the PPE like masks and how that's going to be provided. And then the other part is sort of um, having discussions around metrics. What what should we do if uh, a lot of people have seen those maps that show different towns as be either, be either white, green, yellow, or red. The state put something out like that starting a few weeks ago. Right. And what if we go red? What does that mean? What if we go yellow? What does that mean? Um, and, and not necessarily going by the color coding because there are a lot of variables in that, but really looking at in a particular community or region if we're seeing elevated numbers of cases or positivity rates going up, what does that mean for our model? Are we shifting from a hybrid model to a remote model for a period of time? So, you know, that's just, again, very high level discussion. The, the biggest issue, it's health and safety, pure and simple. Right. And just to drill down a little bit more on that, Mark. So here's the scenario. A teacher who uh, feels uh, they need to be safer and they say, okay, uh, I know this is hybrid, and I know I'm due in the classroom a particular day or days of the week, but I don't feel safe to come in. I don't feel safe. Uh, I would rather teach remotely from home. Is there some of that going on? And if so, what rights do they have? Yeah, and that, that there's a lot of that going on, to answer your question directly. There's a lot of that concern, you know, and, and I think... Um, School districts have, have really tried hard to make sure that their staff aren't being, they're not questioning, you know, how staff feel. Um, it's really helping staff get comfortable and recognizing we need to do this anyway. Um, so when you talk about a person who just doesn't feel comfortable, there really aren't legal protections for that. Some school districts are trying the best they can to align their staffing needs with their student needs. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is, even in, for example, a hybrid model, there are a lot of parents that are opting to keep their kids home. That's certainly more prevalent at the elementary level and seems to diminish as the kids get older. Um, and there's you know, sort of more of a focus on what you're learning rather than um, sort of the culture of learning at the younger ages. But there are a lot fewer kids that want to come to school or, or their parents want them to come to school. And so a lot of schools have developed these, these models that even when you're doing hybrid, you're also providing uh, full remote learning to students through some other mechanism, whether it's your own staff. So when there's an opportunity to align staff wishes with operational needs and educational needs, districts are certainly trying to make that work. Where I really think the um, greater strain is, is these leave laws that we talked about earlier, and I don't mean to diminish um, what they're aiming towards, but you can imagine that if a teacher is, is teaching um, and they have their own kids in another school district, there is going to be a conflict between the different models 
and a teacher may or may not be able to come in and teach in their building. Um, so there's there's leave protection um, under this FFCRA for those kind of circumstances. And similarly, when we have people with pre-existing medical conditions, you may be looking at accommodating somebody with a disability that entitles them to an accommodation of potentially working at home or a leave of absence. Um, so there are a lot of those kind of issues. And I think the health and safety concerns have been the big issue the unions are bringing forward. The staffing level concerns are really the things the districts are most worried about. Um, again, not to, not to say they're not worried about the safety issues, but trying to make it all work. I've kind of likened it to a, a three-dimensional game of Tetris where you're looking at yeah. space availability, the student need and student wants or family wants, and then your staffing try to match that and try to make these all the pieces fit together is a, is a quite complicated puzzle. For sure, particularly where things keep changing. So I just want to confirm what I think I heard you say, Mark, just for our listeners, that a teacher is happy to teach at home via Zoom using their computer and internet connection, but they don't feel comfortable given the the environment right now going in, even when that's what the district has assigned them to do. Uh, There's no real particular rights for that. In other words, that's really just up to the discretion of the district. Yeah, under that scenario, that's that's correct, Howard. Right. So you did mention this in the last question, Mark, but I was going to ask the same thing. What about kids and parents? I'm sure a lot of parents, as you say, particularly with the youngsters, would rather keep them at home. But what if the children have been assigned to on-site learning? Is it okay for them to, to keep the, the child home and learn by remote means? Yeah, so there are a couple options for parents in that scenario. I mean, for uh, to my knowledge, school districts that are offering hybrid models are also all offering parents the opportunity to keep their kids home. And the way that we're educating those kids who are staying home by parent choice is a combination of what we were talking about a minute ago, where um, a staff member may be teaching the, those students remotely as well, right? We have a, a staff member who needs an accommodation of teaching remotely. We have a group of kids that want to be taught that way. You pair them up. Um, so that certainly you know, is, is one way things are working. The other thing that's happening, particularly at the high school level, is there are um, sort of privately run uh, virtual learning environments that are out there. And I won't name brands for you know, lack of, I don't want to uh, make it sound like I'm endorsing any of them. But there are these companies that have been out there for some time now that are really providing alternative education options. Um, and they've been used historically for students that have medical issues that preclude them from coming into the schools or disciplinary issues, um, but we need to keep facilitating their, their education. Um, so these products have been out there um, and you know are do have a place in, in the marketplace anyway. Um, so that's, that's a part of sort of the puzzle at the, particularly at the high school level. The other option you know, from sort of that remote model is homeschooling. You know, there are parents that are choosing to say, I'm either concerned about how things went in the spring and that the education wasn't as rigorous as I wanted it to be. And so I'm choosing to keep my kids home or they, because of their family circumstances, they are saying, I can do this. And they're, they're submitting homeschooling programs for approval to the school districts. And I'm not sure that that's a huge amount of people, but it, it certainly is happening more than 
happens in the ordinary course. You know, in the ordinary course, you might have one or two families in a, in a school district that are homeschooling, and I certainly know that, that there's been an uptick in that activity. So what I'm going to say is not so much a question, and it's not so much legally related, but I think it's the big lurking issue. All of this that's going on, Mark, would you agree that the parent plays an outsized role in all of this? I mean, the parents need to be there with their children to make sure learning happens. And it's such a delicate balance because the parents have to earn money and they have to do work. Yet there's also a half or full day that their kids are involved with education that normally would take place at an outside location in a school and they'd be protected, they'd be there, the parent would know where they are. Now that so much of the responsibility, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, really falls on the parents to make sure that the kids are at their assigned computer at that time, looking at all the different schedules, hybrid, remote, it's just complicated. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, this this whole scenario has put a stress on everybody and, and certainly puts working parents, um, I think, in the probably the most difficult predicament of anyone, um, particularly those, you know, it's even more true for parents who don't have the ability to work at home, right? I and mean, then you're talking about... Right. Picking your ability to earn versus you know making sure your kids are learning or finding some other model, so somebody's able to care for those kids. Um, even the paid leave bills we talk about aren't aren't full pay for a you know super long time. So yeah, I, there's, there's no question that this is going to cause people to look at things differently. And you know one of the things I've been thinking about is you know whether we're going to see sort of a long term response. Um, and what I mean by that is. Are we going to see more leave laws that are designed to protect or give people the ability to better balance their lives? You know, that started to some degree with the Family and Medical Leave Act, which was passed in 1993. Um, we've seen states like Massachusetts adopt paid versions of that, and that'll come online here in January. But I'm questioning whether or not the the availability of paid leave is is going to continue to expand with a goal of at least providing some additional protection beyond COVID. You know, and I think that dialogue, the dialogue has been happening for a while, but I think the desire and support for that to me seems like, it seems like we're going to have more support for that politically in the next year or two than might have existed a year ago. That makes a whole lot of sense because this looks like it's going to go on for quite some time. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. So th there's another issue that isn't necessarily a legal issue, but it but it needs to be talked about, that there are, you know, parties, gatherings going on among young folks, as they do. It's a perfectly natural um, and normal and good in normal times. But many of these gatherings are risky and causing closure of schools. Uh, we saw that Dover-Sherburn, Lincoln-Sudbury, I believe, the schools were um, ordered shut for 14 days because of big parties among the young folks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that people have to realize we're all in this together. You know, Howard, as you know, I, I also sit on a school committee in addition to practicing school law. And, yes. And... Um, one of the things that dawned on me in that capacity, as we were talking about how we're looking at metrics and we review those weekly, is the tension you've got there. The, the, every time you see one more positive case, and we've talked before about you know the going the town going from green to yellow to red, and if you move from one to the other, um, you can realize how 
the behavior of just a small group, even without the parties, can change numbers in a way that may force a decision about closing schools. Personally, I'm glad that the districts that were involved took it seriously, because I think that may send a message for everybody in the long term. But if there's one message I have to everybody who wants to see their kids going to school, is you got to make sure they're being responsible and you got to make sure that you are setting boundaries as a parent about what you're going to let your kids do. Because if you don't, they're going to be home. And, and I'm fearful that once kids go home because numbers go up, I don't know if numbers are going to come down sufficient for schools to be able to reopen. You know, I think a lot of school districts are really worried about a second wave of COVID or spikes that, that happen. If we end up closing at the end of October, who knows when we're going to be able to reopen again. So everybody's in this together. And if we want to keep our schools open and make that available for our children, we really have to take that seriously and make sure that they're doing the right thing by maintaining social distancing, wearing their masks, um, and just being smart and using some common sense out there. Very well put. And I'm also proud to say, you alluded to this, that you're on my town's school board. And uh, we're very happy and proud that you are on the board. Um, Thank you for everything you do. (laughs) Just wanted to add that. So in closing, Mark, I know this is very tough because things change sometimes minute to minute on this. But just taking a stab, and you alluded to this earlier in the expansion and different types of leaves available. If you had a crystal ball, and wouldn't it be great if we all did, how do you see all this playing out in terms of how kids will get educated and teachers will teach? Just a gut sense that you feel comfortable stating in the short term, and if you wanted to, we don't require it, but long term as well. I think once, now that people are back at school for those districts that have opened, I think that one of the things we're going to see is that, the, you know, we talked earlier about staff really just some staff being appropriately anxious about coming back into a building. I think once people get there, you know, and they kind of break the seal on that to the point where like, okay, I'm here, I'm safe, I feel okay about it. You know, I think that's going to help dramatically in terms of how we just get into some level of normalcy, even though it's not normal. And so my my hope is that, you know, we don't see the spikes that come out of, of foolish behavior or for any reason, um, and that we're able to at least continue to operate school for some long stretch of time here. I think it would be foolish to think that there aren't going to be school districts that have to close for some period of time. Um, there certainly are many communities in our state that, that are in that red category, and I honestly don't know what those school districts are necessarily doing at the moment. Right. You know, I, I think if we can get through this winter, <laughs> you know, without having to close, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. And, you know, certainly the, the talk about vaccines out there is at least moving in a positive direction. So I have no medical background, um, but I pay attention to what I read. And, you know, it seems like there's more optimism about a vaccine at least being developed by the end of this calendar year and starting to be available to people. It's obviously going to take time before everybody can get it. And it's going to take time before that has impact, et cetera. But I think this year is going to be a bumpy year. I think we are going to see some closures. I hope I'm wrong. That, you know, if there is a closure because of a, a uptick in a particular community or district that they can close for two weeks, it'll settle down and they can reopen. I'm skeptical, but I hope that will be the case. So I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. And, and all the issues you raised about parents working at home, that's going to be bumpy too, right? Because if kids are at least able to be in a building two days a week and parents can go to wherever they work physically those two days a week and that disappears, we're going to be back where we were. And obviously, there's a a competing interest in seeing our economy reopen. 
I'm curious to see what's going to happen when schools get going and if schools um, can be open for four to six weeks or something like that without major upticks in, in case counts. You know, we'll see what the next step is for the state in terms of trying to reopen the economy and, and getting things moving there. But it's, it's still going to be a bumpy ride for sure. For sure. We've been talking today with Myrick O'Connell partner Mark Terry on the state of school reopenings, what's going on in the public schools given COVID. Mark, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule for joining us. Thank you, Howard. Sure, we appreciate it. Just one last question. How can folks contact you with any questions or concerns about this issue? I can be contacted by email at uh, mterry at Myrick, M-I-R-I-C-K, O'Connell.com. Great. Thank you, Mark. I'm Howard Kaplan on behalf of Myrick O'Connell and attorney Mark Terry. Thanks for joining us. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. 